the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. Now going to study Matthew chapter 4. Um, this is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So in chapter 3, just recently, Jesus uh, began his public ministry. He was baptized by John. And the last thing we saw was that the Holy Spirit ascended on Jesus. And uh, the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, and Jesus was there. That was the Trinity. And then we move into chapter 4, where Jesus then goes into the temptation. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, and said to them, All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. So this is the temptation of Jesus. He goes out after being uh, in the wilderness. He, he went on a fast for 40 days. I could talk about fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, you can actually do that. Uh, there was a guy who was a little bit overweight. If I remember correctly, it was maybe in New York. And... Uh, I think he went for the longest fast that we know of, and it was something like 300-something days or something like that. Because your body can really live on fat, uh, and so if you have an abundance of fat, uh, you can shut off the carbohydrates and you can, actually, you can actually fast. Now, a couple things. If you've never fasted before, I probably should explain this. I fast a lot. And... Um, the first few times I fasted, it was really, really, really difficult for me. Your body is not used, if you eat three meals a day, your body is not used to not eating and your body starts to play mean tricks on you. And it'll say, I mean, if you go like four hours without eating and you're normally, you know, you normally don't do that, then your body's like, I'm going to die and your blood sugar's low and you get angry and all those sort of things. But as you work through that and learn about how your body works, you can actually go it, you can actually go longer without eating than you think you can. And I know this sounds crazy. Some of you are saying, no, I cannot, I have to eat five times a day, otherwise my body freaks out. And there may be even some people who medically have to do that also. But for me, um, and for a lot of people that I know, they are able to kind of fast. The, the way that you fast is basically just extend the time that you don't eat, right? So. Um, if you normally eat uh, three meals a day plus snacks, maybe you cut out the snacks. Or uh, if you eat three meals a day, then maybe you just cut out breakfast. Maybe instead of eating breakfast first thing in the morning, eight o'clock, maybe you push it to 10 o'clock, then you have lunch and dinner. And what you can find out, the people that do this, and, 
and I'm a living example of this. I was a person that ate <laughs> all the time. Um, but the people that do this, they, are, they learn how to um, not eat as frequently and maybe even squeeze the time that they do eat shorter together. And there's tons of research on the benefits of this. Um, for example, if you go longer periods of time without eating, uh, your body produces human growth hormone. Your body does this thing called autophagy, where it goes into your body and starts uh, eating dead cells or damaged cells or whatever, or things like that, and then reprocessing the amino acids in your body and rebuilding things. I mean, there's the research shows, and this goes against what we've learned um, growing up. Because when I grew up, I, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner plus snacks, you had to have that. And, and when you're growing up, when you're a young kid, of course, you need more food than you're then you can necessarily eat one or two meals. So it's okay. I mean, you, as a kid, you should eat more often, but you know, once you're done growing, once you're, you know, at your, at your age where you're not going to grow anymore, then you do need to cut back on the amount of food that you eat. And I didn't. Um, so when I reached my, you know, mid to late twenties and thirties, you know, I was eating like I was a teenager again, and I started to gain a lot of weight. And, um, and one of the ways that helps me, uh, kind of control how many calories I eat because I don't eat that many. I, the older I am, my body just doesn't need as many. And to try to do that in three meals and snacks, it's just almost impossible. So eating uh, two meals a day or even one meal a day is a way for me to help control the amount of food that I intake. But the body is an amazing thing. You can actually go without eating. Now, I, I think I started this by saying when you do that, when you go into a fast, 24 hours is not a big deal. 48 hours, not a big deal. I mean, you can build up to it. Once you get to about day three or day four on a fast, if you're not controlling the amount of electrolytes and you know things in your body, um, then you can actually get what they call this flu. It's a fasting flu. Some people call it a keto flu because if you do a keto diet, it, the same thing happens. But basically, it's where you need to um, make sure that you're getting some sort of... Um, electrolytes in your body and one way that a lady that I watch on the internet she says she carries around with her a handful of you know the big crystal salt and when she starts to feel hungry she puts the salt in her mouth it helps her hunger but it also replenishes the salts in her body so that uh, because if you do not replenish the salts in your body you get the most amazingly difficult at least I do um, amazingly difficult headache uh, you can't sleep sometimes it causes you know, all sorts of problems in your body. Um, so if it's a short fast, if it's 24 hours, 40 hours, or 40 hour fast, probably not gonna get that flu. But if you do go a longer period of time, um, you, you can, if you're not used to it, uh, it can cause all sorts of problems. There's lots of research out there. If you're a person who shouldn't be fasting, by all means don't fast. If you feel like you need to run a doctor's direction, I'll, I'll you know, do that too. But your body can live and survive off of just the fat that's in your body. And you don't necessarily need carbohydrates. Uh, carbohydrates is short-term energy. It stays in your body and it's around for a short period of time. If you have more carbohydrates than you actually need for that short period of time, then your body releases insulin. And the insulin combines with the carbohydrates and puts fat on your body. And that's storing for a future point. Um, if you've got carbohydrates in your body, then you will not burn fat. Uh, so you actually have to deplete the carbohydrates in your body. Once those are depleted, um, and that happens just you know by fasting, then your body can start to uh, 
start to use fats. Um, so that did, that is to say that you know it, Jesus definitely did go forty days right without food because you can. It's hard, uh, and especially with Jesus' day, he didn't have all the medical technology that we have today. So I don't know if he knew about salts and all that sort of thing. And to go uh, after four or five days, um, you know, your body—if you're not used to it—your body can really play mind tricks on you and and freak you out. Um, but it is possible. Our bodies are so amazingly designed that we have um, the ability to go without a long period of time without food. And uh, when we do do that, our mind gets clearer. I've found that fasting, my mind gets clearer. Uh, my, my relationship with God gets tighter um, because uh, I, I'm reminded that, uh, you know, that I'm fasting and then I'm reminded to spend time with God. I mean, there's a lot of good things with fasting. We don't fast very much as a society anymore. We used to. Every, every time throughout history in the Bible, uh, people fasted all the time for a bunch of different reasons. It's, it's something we've always done. And um, if you've never fasted, I encourage you to do some research, think about it. All right, I wasn't, the funny thing was, is I was preparing today, I didn't even think I was gonna go into the whole fasting thing. So this is, it's a freebie for you. All right, so here we go. So, um, but so the, the devil, the tempter comes up to Jesus and he tempts him with three temptations. And the first temptation is this. Um, of course, Jesus is hungry. He says, command these stones to be made of bread. And Jesus says, um, you shall not tempt the Lord your God um, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of, but by every breath, everything that comes out of the word of God. Man shall not live by, I guess I could read it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when I've heard this story before, the thing that always stuck in my mind was how Jesus used scripture to defend himself against the, the, the devil. And knowing scripture and, and having that, that access to scripture in your mind all the time. And man, it is so helpful when temptations come to just know where to go into scripture and to, to, and to help you. And that's what scripture is there for, is to help you build your faith. And it's a go-to point when, when temptations come in your life. So when you have temptations, if you know the word of God and you know where to go in scripture, it is so incredibly beneficial. So, I mean, obviously learn scripture, digest scripture, read scripture, be, have scripture part of your life. There's no question about it, uh, that scripture is so beneficial in so many ways, but certainly when it comes to temptations. Um, and then the second one is that uh, Jesus took him to the high point of the temple. And he said, you know, cast yourself down because the angels will save you, right? And Jesus again says, um, you shall not uh, put the Lord your God to the test. Again, it's scripture. The third one, he takes him and says, all this I will give you if you follow me. And he says, You're gonna, I'm not going to worship you. Uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and the Lord your God only. So he uses, temp, he uses scripture and all these temptations. It's a wonderful thing. But as I've gotten older, right, um, and as I've looked at this, I've, I've, there's so many different ways that you can go with this story about how, uh, like why Jesus did this and why it's recorded in scripture. Um, and uh, there's... I just want to give you one here because um, it's really interesting. Uh, if you know, uh, if you've been around for a while, you know that I have uh, read about this personality test. I guess you call it a personality test called the Enneagram. And basically it's three sets of three. Any means nine, gram means gram, I, you know, letter. But it's, 
the, the person or the people that put together this personality test uh, have noticed that in life, we tend to lead in our life in three centers, I guess you'll call it. We either lead with our body, we lead with our emotions, or we lead, we lead with our mind, okay? And what I mean was when, when stress comes into our life or when we attack a problem or when we do living, like our go-to point is usually in one of those three centers. And then each of those three centers has three other centers. Um, but the three centers are basically the body and the mind and the emotions. Or, I mean, there's body, mind, and spirit. You know, and Scripture talks about this all the time too. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. I mean, all of these things are in Scripture, and I think that's kind of where this Enneagram kind of started, was maybe people looking at uh, that. Anyway, so uh, we have these three centers, and it's interesting, but I've seen how these three centers uh, are talked about in this, this story about Jesus. So, for example... Uh, Jesus says, command these stones to be made of bread, right? Do something. Uh, make this physical transformation. That's power. That's, that's your body, right? That's, the, that's using your, your strength of your body to command the stones of bread. Uh, and then he says, he takes him up to the temple and he goes, throw yourself down. Show, you know, the angels will come rescue you. Prove to yourself that God still loves you, that the angels still love you. You know that you're still... Uh, connected to God. And that's kind of like a, an emotional thing, right? Um, and then he takes them up to the highest point, you know, in Jerusalem and shows them all the earth and says, just think if you will just worship and bow down, I'll give you all the secrets of the universe. I'll open up your, you know, for me, open up your mind. Because in the Enneagram, I'm, I'm basically that person that my go-to point is my mind. And I've always been that way. Um, I'm, um, it's, it's amazing how uh, in, when I was growing up, whenever I would come against a problem, I would always think, I can always think myself out of that problem. All I have to do is think about it long enough and hard enough and a solution will appear. Um, that's my go-to place. Um, and so for me, you know, to being able to go up to the top of the mountain and see all the wonders of the universe and have all the answers there. I mean, it's very, very appealing to me. Um, it's a very huge temptation for me. Um, but the thing is, is in all three of these, uh, you can never have enough uh, knowledge. You can never have enough power. You can never have enough emotions. We are, we are created um, perfectly, but then after the fall, we, don't, uh, we can never satisfy ourselves. Like for me, I can never satisfy my knowledge. If you, if you lead with your strength, you'll never have enough strength. If you lead with your emotions, you'll never have enough emotions. Um, and if you lead with knowledge, you'll never have enough knowledge because we just can't have enough knowledge. There, and I think that's, that's the key to this temptation is that so many times as humans, we want everything, right? We want all the knowledge. We want all the strength. We want all the power, all the emotion. Um, and there's never enough of it. And I really think that after the fall of man, I think that's really truly what the fall is all about, is that God's provided enough for us to live. He's provided enough knowledge for us to live. He's provided enough strength for us to live. He's put enough emotion and love and support for us to live. He's provided enough food for us to live. Um, he's provided enough relationship. Everything that we have in our life is enough. 
and yet we want more. And see, that's the temptation is we always want more. We always want to have more than what we have, even in this coronavirus, right? What was the first thing that people did when we said we might not have enough? We went and we hoarded stuff. You know, we might not have a toilet paper. Let's wipe out all the toilet paper. We might not have food. Let's wipe out all the food. Um, there, I mean, there, there is uh, enough to go around if everybody shares, right? But we always want more. And and this is another point, and I got to make this point clear too, because I don't want you to leave with the impression that going and getting toilet paper is wrong. No, going and getting toilet paper is not wrong, because we all need toilet paper. We all need food. All these things we need in life. The problem is, is that when you get too much, and you know you're getting too much, and you know you might have two people go to the store, and one person picks up a roll, of, you know, a thing of toilet paper, and and that might be too much, right? Because maybe they're hoarding and they're coming and getting too much. Another person gets it because he knows he needs it. The thing is you cannot look at somebody and know whether or not they're hoarding or whether or not they're getting the, you know, the necessities of life. The only person that knows this is God and, and the person right now. Like I know when I'm hoarding. I know when I'm being sinful. Um, I know when I'm gaming the system, right? Um, there's this... Uh, you know, there's always opportunities for us to game the system for our own advantage over somebody else. And um, I think, you know, temptation is that, not gaming the system. You know, doing what's right and not more than what's right. As a matter of fact, I, and I believe this too, I think that's why God says we should use our uh, time, talent, and resources, you know, give some of it back is because it kind of provides a buffer for us to not use our time, talent, and resources um, and game the system because gaming the system, you know, using the system for your advantage over and above somebody else is really the, you know, the big temptation, isn't it? Right. And so, um, Jesus was tempted and he didn't fall into temptation. The only person that hasn't fallen into temptation, the rest of us do. The rest of us do at times game the system. We do, um, you know, go to the, go to our dark spots. You know, when we're tempted, we, we, we're addicted to things, um, we, you know, food and, and internet, right? Uh, in, in, for me, it's knowledge. Um, you know, we're just addicted to that stuff. And, and I think if th there's plenty of stuff to go around, we don't need to be addicted. Um, we're, we can learn to live without some stuff. We can have days where we fast from knowledge. We can have days where we fast from food. We can have days when we fast from power. Um, we can have days where we give that stuff away. Anyway, so that's the temptation of Jesus. Um, so Jesus is tempted. Uh, and then he goes on. This is uh, verse 12. Uh, then Jesus heard that John had been put into prison. Now, John, again, we saw in the last chapter, John is John the Baptist, uh, the cousin of Jesus, and he foretells the coming of Jesus. Then Jesus begins his ministry and John is put into prison by Herod. Um, he actually dies in prison. Uh, and Jesus hears that John is put into prison. He, and he withdraws to Galilee. So he leaves Nazareth. He goes up to Galilee. Uh, and he went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake uh, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And again, this is to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And this again is from Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali 
the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light and those things on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So um, remember part of what Matthew's doing in writing this gospel is he wants to point out that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And so you're going to see that Matthew quotes a lot from the Old Testament to make the connection. All right, Jesus went up to Galilee. Why did he do that? It's because it's to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy where it said that the Messiah would come from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Um, And then Jesus in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is very similar to what's in Mark 1.15, where Jesus says, uh, repent and believe uh, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So basically, Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. That is a major, major theme in all of the gospels, that Jesus came to start a new kingdom because we live on the kingdom of this earth, right? And we're, there are kings that have power over us and we want good kings, but we won't get good kings because no king is perfect. No king, even King David wasn't perfect. Um, and we would love to live in a land where there's a benevolent king who makes all the right decisions for us and does you know, all the right things so that we don't get coronavirus. Um, we'd love to live in a, in a world like that, but we don't live in a world like that. We live in a sinful, fallen world. No king is perfect. No program is perfect. No scientific method is perfect. Uh, no pastor is perfect. Uh, we just don't live in a perfect world. And so we will not live in a perfect kingdom except the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a perfect kingdom. And the great thing is, is that you're already in it. It's a kingdom that will never fail. It will never fall away. And yes, even though death may come and get you at some point, you will be resurrected and brought into this kingdom, which starts and you're in it now. Um, And if this isn't something in the future that like, I can't wait till I get in the kingdom of heaven. No, you're in the kingdom now. And when you metanoiate, okay, metanoiate is uh, from this word repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repent, it's terrible that that word repentant is there because that word in Greek is metanoiate. And what Jesus is really saying is not like be sorry for your sins. There's other words for that. What Jesus is saying is start thinking in your mind a new way of thinking. You're living in the kingdom. You are a child of God in the kingdom. He loves you now in the kingdom. This future heaven that we're talking about exists in you now. It's a major theme of the Bible. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. In Mark 1, Jesus says, um, uh, the time has come. And in that word, there's, there's two words for time in, in the Greek. There's, there's chronological time, chronos, which is minute by minute, second by second, right? It, time goes on. And then there's another word for time, which is kairos, which is kairos time. Uh, and kairos basically means like an event or an epoch or a thing has happened. So you're walking along in life and all of a sudden you hit a kairos time, which is you're like out of time, right? Like the chronos time stops. And for Christians, 
that's an opportunity. You're like walking along and all of a sudden you like get this presence of God. You're like, maybe God's trying to speak to me right now. And you like go out of time. It's like, uh, it's like a pause of the Kronos time to have the Kairos time. And in the Kairos time, God is speaking to you through his word and through living in his word and the fact that his Holy Spirit exists in you and lives in you and helps you fight the battles. There are times in life we have these Kairos times where God is trying to tell me something. And what is God trying to try to tell me? And that's really part of the Christian life is to look for those times where God's trying to speak to you. It happens so many times in scripture, right? You're reading along in scripture and then God's like, wow, this really, this is a time to pause and think about this and figure out how I'm going to change my life and live my life differently. And how am I going to live as a child of the king now that I know this information? That's all Kairos time stuff. And that's what Jesus is saying here. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this repent is really metanoiata. Meta means change. Noiata means your mind, Right. Look at things from a different way. Oh, Luther had a great way. Oh, I was in a Bible study. Um, come to your senses, Luther said. Um, come to your senses. Think about it. Are you living the life that Jesus has given you to live? Are you living in the kingdom? Some people might say, are you living the best life that Jesus has for you? And if not, why not? Because he wants you to live as a child of the king. He has so many things he wants to give you. It's so much life and love and happiness and joy that he wants to give you. Do you see it? How do you see it? And seeing it is spending time in scripture, spending time with God, letting his life live in you. That's a Kairos time. And uh, so change your mind, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, so then Jesus goes on, verse 18. Uh, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, this is by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. So these are two brothers, and they were casting their net into the lake, for they were both fishermen. And Jesus comes to him and says, Hey, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets, they just left their nets and they followed Jesus. And he's going from there. He saw two other brothers fishing. This is James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. This is James and John, right? Sons of Zebedee. And they were in a boat with their father, right? So these two, James and John, are in the boat with their father Zebedee. Jesus is like, come follow me. And immediately they left Zebedee and they followed Jesus. So the first four right here in Matthew are all fishermen, right? It's, uh, it's uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. Um, and they're fishermen. And Jesus says, I know you're fishing for fish, but I want you to come and follow me and fish for men. And then they spent the next three years of their life learning what it is like to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus told them about the kingdom. What does it mean to be part of the kingdom? And then, you know, he did other things. He sent them out uh, as part of the kingdom. He sent them out as missionaries, as, as people uh, endowed with, with God as being a part of the kingdom. And the three that you always hear, so Jesus had 12 disciples. The, the three that you always hear about are uh, Peter, James, and John, right? As a matter of fact, at the Transfiguration, uh, which is where Jesus shines as bright as the sun, they go up to the mountain. Um, it's Peter, the three closest disciples that Jesus had were Peter, James, and John. So Peter had a brother, um, Andrew, who is not part of that, you know, uh, three people, um, 
but James and John are. James and John are brother, and then Peter. I think Peter and James probably were very close. I don't know. Um, John was a lot younger. John was the youngest of the disciples. I've heard anywhere from 15, 16 to as, to as high as 20 or 21, right, when he, when he was called by Jesus. But he was significantly younger than Jesus. Jesus is about 30 years old at this point. Um, some of these disciples are older. Some of them are about Jesus' age. And John is the youngest at 16. And Peter, James, and John, all fishermen, um, so they, and, and they're all, they all become this band of brothers, right, to, to follow Jesus around. And Jesus changes their life, right? He completely changes their life. He teaches them a new way of living. He teaches them so many things about being in the kingdom. And he shows them the miraculous power that he has to heal um, it's just quite amazing. Their life must have been changed immensely. I, I think it would have been so cool to be with Jesus. I think it would have been cool to follow him around and just watch how he lived his life. He had no material possessions, belongings. Um, he didn't have a home. Uh, he, just, he just lived as a child of the king and lived the most fulfilling life that anybody has ever lived without any material goods. He didn't hoard anything. Um, and he showed them how to live that life too. And then they showed us how to live that life and, and had it in scripture. So he calls the first uh, coronavirus. Um, yeah, so they weren't, they were rough guys, okay? Fishermen were not the easiest guys to live with. They, um, they were pretty salty, right? They lived on a boat. Uh, they, you know, you hear people swear like a sailor. They were probably salty, down-to-earth people. You know, they came into to the port. Um, they sold their fish at a fish market. You know, this this uh, this virus apparently started in Wuhan, which and there's apparently a lot of open-air markets in Wuhan. Very very messy, stinky place. Well, that's the you know that's where the market was where you sold your fish. They came in with all their fish and they laid it out and people came and um, bought their fish from these fishermen and they had fish to eat. Um, that's what they were. We'll continue on verse 23. Then Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Again, the good news of the kingdom. So the good news has already happened, right? In a newspaper, when you, when you read the news and you read good news, it's something that's already happened. So Jesus, when he goes around talking about the good news of the kingdom, is telling the good news that's already happened. The kingdom has come. I am the new monarch of this kingdom, and now it is here, and you get to be a part of it. I mean, that's just fascinating. He starts talking, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing so part of the kingdom is healing, disease, and sickness among the people. News about him spread over Syria, and people brought, brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee in the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. So Jesus now is started the kingdom of which he's the monarch, and now he's showing you what it's like to live in the kingdom. And it, at one sen in one sense, it is almost a path and a journey back to the Garden of Eden. 
Because in the Garden of Eden, right, there was no disease, there was no sickness, there was food, there was love, there was everything you would ever want to live, right, in the Garden of Eden. And then we were kicked out, and now Jesus is like, the kingdom has come, and he's showing a path back to the Garden of Eden. So these people are sick, and they're bringing sick people. But not every sickness that they're talking about here is what we would call a medical diagnosis that needs some sort of treatment or some sort of drug, right? We have that today, right? We've got all this medical knowledge to if a person has this particular disease, then they get this sort of treatment. Well, they didn't have that back at Jesus' time. And yet Jesus is healing. But not every one of these healings is, well, not every one of these healings is miraculous, all right? That Jesus did miracles. There's absolutely no question about it. And in the, in the Gospels, they're called miracles. That word is simeon, which where we get the word semaphore. It's a sign. When Jesus does a miracle, like, uh, you know, the turning the water into wine, that is a miracle, um, and it's called a semeon or a sign to prove Jesus' divinity. But here, and there may have been some miracles here too also. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. But a lot of the stuff that Jesus is doing, going around healing people who are sick, are people who are necessarily, you know, don't necessarily need a miracle drug or a miracle to be healed from. Now, this is, this is, um, you know, might shock you, I guess you could say that, but um, like this, like the coronavirus, right? We've got, um, I guess there's 49 clinical trials going on right now to try to figure out which cocktail of medicines are going to actually save people so they don't get this, um, this virus. It's a viral infection, right? And um, so they want to do double-blind placebo clinical trials, right? Why is it, why do they have a placebo in there? And the reason they have a placebo in there is because we have known for a very, very long time that if you tell somebody, if you take this drug, you will get better, there is an incredible healing in the body that will, that will, that your body says, okay, I might get better, right, because of this. And so we do placebos. We, we tell people, and, and it's basically sometimes people take the placebo and they actually get better. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and sometimes people take the drug and they don't get better. And the only way that they can say, is it better if you take the drug than if you don't take the drug, is you give a whole bunch of people the placebo and a whole bunch of people the drug, and you compare them, randomized trial test, right? And you find the statistical difference and hope that the statistical difference is there. And then they can, you know, start to say, okay, this is better for you than not better for you. But, you know, in the whole, the science of medicine, there is a lot of stuff that happens um, because the body has an amazing ability to think positively and to heal itself. Um, we, have a, we have an immune system, right? There is an immune system in our body. If you get good nutrition and proper sleep uh, and you go and get vitamin D from the sunlight and exercise, um, you boost your immune system, it helps you fight a lot of these things that can happen. The body is an amazing thing. And you know, as much as our medical profession understands and has treatments for all sorts of diseases, there's a lot that is not understood. And I know this is, sounds crazy, and some of you think I'm off my rocker, and I'm not. I just believe that there are times when our body can do amazing things. And Jesus went out and started healing people. Some of them were miracles. But in some instances, Jesus listened to them and he put his hands on them. He prayed for them and he taught his disciples to do the same thing. And they 
were healed from their affliction. They were healed. Um, and Jesus calls us to do the same. And just think about that for a while. Jesus calls us. Now, are we like Jesus? No. Are we perfect? No. Do we know how to heal people like Jesus? Absolutely not. But can we go up to a person who's in pain or hurting or has an infirmity or a sickness and can we place our, well, you can't place your hands on them today because that would be not social distancing, but can we put our hands on them and pray for them and listen to them? And at some level, is that a healing thing for them? And the answer is absolutely. As a matter of fact, that's what God calls us to do. So, um, so Jesus goes throughout Galilee and he starts healing people and across the Jordan and people start following him. And of course they start following him because he's doing something that's amazing. He's bringing people back to the garden. He's bringing people back to the way we're supposed to live. He's bringing people into the kingdom. The kingdom that starts now. I mean, you're part of the kingdom now. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, so that is our uh, time this morning. Uh, thanks for sticking with me and, uh, you know, send your comments. Uh, if you have a prayer request, please send it to uh, info at christlutheranvale.org or david uh, at hookcentral.com. And, uh, and we'll put you on the prayer chain or prayer list. And, uh, you know, I will continue to pray for you. This is a weird time, but, but it's also a fascinating time. And it's a fascinating time if you know that you're in the kingdom and that no matter what happens in, in this life and even in the next life, you're part of God's beloved. and He loves you and he cares for you. So you can sleep well at night. You can know that he cares for you. And yeah, there may be some bad things happening in the world and there may be some bad things that may even happen in your life, but you're still a child of the king. Um, all the other stuff, even health, right? You know, money, power, influence, all the things that Jesus was tempted by, you know, relationships, love, and all that. It's nice to have. But the most important relationship is with Jesus. And you can live without a lot of things. You cannot live without God. You cannot live without him in your life. And if you've got that, as Jesus did, really don't need much else in this world. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but, but it's true. And my prayer for you is that, that as you grow in your faith and grow in the kingdom, that that reality becomes more real for you every day. That really all you need is Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than treasures untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world has today. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, uh, all we really need is you. Uh, we're tempted so many times by so many different things, but all we really need is you and your word and your kingdom, which has already come in our life. Uh, in this time of trouble and tribulation and stress and what's the future holding and you know, will we flatten the curve and will we have food and all that sort of thing. It's important, Lord, and we should pay attention to it. But all we really need in life is you. And uh, fortunately, we have you because of your son. And this we pray in his name.